Hey, greetings everyone. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West here and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Program. Hello, Patriots. Trebo, President, United Patriot Coin. Today's story time is back in a day when our currency represented real money. What I'm holding in my hand right here is a $10 gold certificate that simply states to pay on demand $10 in gold coin. To make that simple, this was real money and this was a receipt representing real money. Fast forward to today, fiat currency, backed by the government's promise to pay. <laughs> Let you understand that, right? If it was still backed by gold, this one coin would get you 220 gallons of gas at $5 a gallon. I don't have to tell you that that would only get you two gallons of gas. You figure out what's going to get you further. Hard money, fiat currency. As always, stay safe, be prepared. Hey, greetings, everyone. Welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal program. And there are some real interesting things happening down in my birth state of Georgia. And, of course, you know that Fannie Willis, I, I grew up there in Atlanta, Fulton County Stadium, um, scratch that. I grew up in Atlanta, Fulton County, and uh, I used to sell Cokes at the old Fulton County Stadium, so it's near and dear to my heart. But this Fannie Willis down there, I'm starting to really be concerned about this case that she's brought forward. But there have been some very interesting revelations and new things that have happened in that case with the you know plea deals, plea bargains from uh, Sidney Powell, Jenna Ellis, and this quote-unquote immunity of the former President Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. So I thought it would be good to talk to one of the people that's involved in that case, one of the people that's been indicted in that case, to, who, to me, really had their constitutional rights violated, and that's Harrison Floyd. Harrison Floyd is a veteran businessman and politico. Coming from a family with a deep history of military service, Harrison grew up traveling the world before he enlisted in the, in the United States Marine Corps. After 10 years of military service in the infantry, he studied at George Washington University while navigating Capitol Hill. Most recently, Harrison led the largest coalition of the 2020 presidential election cycle and succeeded in increasing support from black Americans and helped garner the highest share of military voters since 1960. And that was Black Voices for Trump. He currently serves on the advisory board of the American Freedom Fund, is a member of the University Club of Washington, D.C., and he's an also exploring a running for the United States Congress. In his free time, Harrison enjoys traveling with his wife and daughter, supporting veteran causes, and playing polo. 
kind of an elitist thing for a Marine, but Marines are somewhat elite. Harrison Ford, thank you so much for joining us here on the Steadfast and Law program. How are you doing? Uh, sir, I'm doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Let's talk about, you know, because the same with me, a, a history of familial service to this great nation in uniform. What was it in your family, uh, the previous generations that got you involved and uh, gave you the impetus to serve in uniform as well? So everyone in my family has served, aunts, uncles, grandparents. Uh, so when I grew up, it wasn't what do you want to be when you grow up? It's what branch are you going to pick? <laughs> and I, I can very clearly remember um, I was probably in the sixth, sixth grade. Uh, we were at the peak at Fort Bragg. And uh, I said to my mom, that soldier over there, uh, his sleeves are, are rolled wrong and he has tattoos. Because, you know, at the time in the Army, you couldn't have tattoos yeah. in the his sleeves were white, not, you know, with the BDU showing. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mom said, oh, he's a Marine. And that's how Marines roll their sleeves. And he has tattoos because he's been to war. You have to go to war to get tattoos. <laughs> and, and so, like, that was, like, the first, uh, the first like, imprint I ever had of, of a Marine. And um, so when I was uh, high school, uh, getting ready to graduate, we were back at Fort Bragg. And... Um, I was deciding which branch I was going to go into the army. I wanted to be yeah. a green beret. Yeah. Um, my friends, parents were green berets. Everyone is in that community and the Marines just so happened to be at the school. They were in their dress blues. And I was like, man, those blues. That did it. And I, <laughs> I was like, you know what? Let me just, I started talking to them about the Marine Corps infantry and how, you know, basically everything you do on a MU is the same thing that, that happens in the SF community and, and Rangers. And there's a, a different, a uh, little bit more diverse pipeline. And so I thought, you know, why, why not be the first Marine? And so I joined the Marine Corps. There you go. You know, my older brother was the black sheep in our family. He was a uh, Marine uh, infantryman. He was wounded in Vietnam at a place called Quezon. So I completely get it. I completely understand. So you did 10 years of service in the United States Marine Corps and the infantry uh, Marine. Uh, what type of tours of duty did you have? So I did uh, three deployments. I did a MUSOC. Uh, then I went to uh, Sakalea, Iraq, right outside of Fallujah by the gates of hell. And then I went to Ramadi during the Anbar Awakening. Then I went to Paris Island as a primary marksmanship uh, instructor. Um, then I left that, went to the Marine Corps Information Operations Center. I was one of the first enlisted IO planners in the Marine Corps. And then I left there and I went over to the Martial Arts Center of Excellence mm -hmm. and taught map which is you know the army's combatives program i was an mm -hmm. trainer, and then uh, i figured you know that was the best job that i'll never have again and uh i decided to get out and pursue a career uh in mixed martial arts but i met this beautiful young lady who ended up becoming my wife and she said you know if you get hurt from fighting you're, you're not going to be getting a paycheck so i started uh taking cl classes, getting back into the academic mindset, and was very fortunate to get into George Washington and uh, pursued uh, the dual degree program there, got both my bachelor's and master's at the same time. Now, what was it that got you involved into the political world? Uh, of course, you're there in Washington, D.C., going to George Washington, so I'm sure it got to you, but what was it that drew you to Capitol Hill? Desert Storm, my father, uh, when we were at Fort Riley, Kansas, he deployed a part of uh, the Gulf War. And I remember uh, always watching CNN 
and uh, hoping to see my dad on TV. And from watching the news and CNN and just sticking to it, even after he got back, I've always had an interest in governance, policy and politics. Um, I remember when I was a kid, our, our parents took us to the BX on uh, Ramstein mm -hmm. to pick up uh, placemats. Mm -hmm. And my brother Brian picked out Ninja Turtles. My brother Peter picked out, I think, like cars, Hot Wheels. And mine was the president's, every president in order. And it had like their, their, their timeline, their, their, uh, their, um, uh, vice president and everything. So when I was like in the fourth grade, I could tell you every president forward and backwards when they served, who their vice president was, significant events that happened. So I've always, it, it was just natural for me to, uh, um, being stationed at Quantico and being so close to DC and GW and, uh, Georgetown and Harvard being very politically active schools, like the top three, I applied to, uh, you know, two of them and got in. And so it was, why not study politics in, you know, the most powerful country in the uh, world? Well, you know, it's interesting that you just said that your father uh, deployed to Operational Desert Shield and Desert Storm from Fort Riley, Kansas, 1st Infantry Division, uh, because I also deployed the Desert Shield, Desert Storm out of uh, Fort Riley. I was in the 2nd Brigade in the 1st Infantry Division, so chances are your dad and I uh, may know each other. So we, okay. have to, so we have to check Asmus on that a little later. Now, let's talk about where you are today, because with this history of service to the country from your family and yourself, who would have ever thought that you would find yourself in this web that is happening in Fulton County under the district attorney there, Fannie Willis. Talk to us about this indictment and the charges that they brought against you. And of course, I want to know why was it that you were the only person that was not allowed to post bail? So a uh, couple, couple different things there. And actually you said something in the beginning. I didn't know you were from Atlanta. My father is from uh, Atlanta, from the SWATs. So oh, sure. uh, my lived right around the corner from the Greenbrier Mall. Oh, so, I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. That was that was one of two places where you could get a Chick-fil-A sandwich when I was growing up. It was South DeKalb Mall or Greenbrier Mall. So chances are I've ran into your dad over there getting a Chick-fil-A sandwich as well as Fort Riley. Um, so I think the reason why I got caught up in it is a couple different reasons. Um, one I working on the Trump campaign, I was uh, the executive director of Black Voices for Trump. Mm -hmm. And so my job was to work behind the scenes. I wasn't in front of the camera. I was one of the main people uh, behind the camera. So I wasn't as uh, well known. I, I mean, people who know me, I'm, I'm known by people who are in the know, right? Like yourself and yeah. Herman yeah. Cain and, and some others. Um, but I was one of those people who were like behind the scene type. So I think first they thought that they could get away with it because the public didn't know who I was or what, how high of a level where, where I was at and that they could just treat me like they treat a lot of other black males um, down there. Um, so I think that was that, that part of it. Uh, another part of it, too, is, you know, the work that we did with Black Voices for Trump was incredibly important. We increased President Trump's uh, vote share of both black women and black men at a time when there were race riots going on for because of George Floyd and a global pandemic. So and, and we did it for a quote unquote racist president. Right. So 
not only was I an unknown, but I'm also a dangerous person because I'm not a part of the you know Republican establishment. I'm not owned or or you know bought by anybody. I know how to how the machine works at a very high level, and um, I know how to get things done. So unknown person to the public knows how to get things done. They probably want you know a guy like me sitting on the sidelines during this election cycle, making sure things don't happen. Um, so they, they thought that they they uh, could get away with it. The reason why I was denied um, bail, sir, is because um, April uh, or I'm sorry, February of this year, the FBI came to my house or my apartment. They uh, trespassed. They accosted my daughter and I and I called the police on them. They uh, tried to flip the story around and say that uh, I assaulted them by bumping them with my chest and jabbing them in the face and uh, spitting on them. And I think in the news, some some people have said that I body slammed one of the FBI agents. Um, long story short, uh, I got hit with a simple misdemeanor that is, is still outstanding now, still hasn't gone anywhere. And I think it was a whole part of this whole scenario um, because they were trying to serve me a subpoena from Jack Smith with uh, Ruby Freeman. So when I went before the judge, I, I, I went down to Atlanta thinking it would be the same thing that happened before with the state of Maryland and the federal government because the state of Maryland uh, decided not to prosecute. So the federal government, my lawyer, got a call from the assistant U.S. attorney saying, we're going to pick this up in federal court, a simple misdemeanor. Um, so I had to turn myself in twice. I was released on my own recognizance. I just signed a piece of paper. So, you know, I thought going down to Fulton County, it was going to be the same thing. And when I got down there, I quickly realized that they had a different plan for me. They tried to prevent me from actually turning myself in. Um, and then when I finally got into uh, the, the county jail, um, I, I realized they were treating me a lot different than Mark Meadows and some others. Um, I ended up spending the night there. And then the next morning, um, contrary to what a lot of news reports have been saying, the judge, Emily Richardson, denied me bail on the basis of saying that I was a flight risk. Um, she said, because I had this simple, this outstanding simple misdemeanor that I was a flight risk, which I couldn't understand because, you know, President Trump and other, other co-defendants have multiple felonies, quite frankly, and multiple jurisdictions that are still outstanding. I have one that's a simple misdemeanor, right? With no prior criminal record. And I was called a flight risk and uh, uh detained for six days so i think that they 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 probably maybe this is just me opining they probably you know viewed it as an opportunity to see you know what they could do with incarcerating um folks related surrounding um president trump seeing what kind of outcry there would be from the public and uh much to their chagrin there was a huge backlash and uh, within 48 hours, our defense fund raised um, over a quarter million dollars, thank God. And uh, good things have been happening ever since. Now, let's unpack some things here. First and foremost, uh, the FBI visiting your residence up there in, in Maryland, it, it, was it? Yes, sir. Why was the FBI coming to your domicile in, in Maryland? to serve me a subpoena uh, for Jack Smith's special uh, purpose grand jury. So, I mean, what, what was the purpose of them, you know, being there? And I'm, I'm trying to get it through my head. Why is the, the 
Why do we have the FBI going after everyone? I mean, we've got these people in the streets now that are supporting a terrorist organization that killed Americans, but yet no one is serving subpoenas on them. What was it that you did that, you know, you had to get subpoenaed because of, of Jack Smith in January 6th? What are they trying to say that you, uh, I mean, I, I never saw you do anything as far as a conspiracy. I never saw you, you know, standing out there telling people that they needed to go into the, the Capitol or anything. I mean, what what's the nature of this uh, almost witch hunt? So actually, sir, it was not in regards to January 6th. It was in regard to Ruby Freeman. Um a few months prior, District Attorney Willis tried to subpoena me before the grand jury down there in Georgia, but she couldn't uh, serve me because I'm not a resident of Georgia and I'm mm -hmm. outside of her jurisdiction. So what happened a couple months later? Oh, the Fed, the FBI shows up with a subpoena um, through Jack Smith to try to get you know any information, try to get me to talk, um, to try to figure out what happened, and. You know, this is again me opining, but to pass information along uh, to District Attorney Willis so she could continue with her charade uh, down there in Georgia. So it's just the government. I mean, it's it's this case. My case literally puts on full display the weaponization of the government and how um, through these different cases, they have been working together with the FBI, different agencies and subverting people's constitutional rights and uh quite frankly, weaponizing the government to be able to do things that they can do. You know, the the charges that have been brought against you as part of a, you know, a racketeering, uh, how, what's the basis for that? I mean, what are they trying to say you were part of in the state of Georgia? So they're trying to say that I was a part of a conspiracy to overturn the election in Georgia um, and get the 16 electoral votes to President Trump. Um, there are three, I think, three different modes or different ways that they're trying to say when you combine them that it would have worked. But uh, quite frankly, with speaking with my lawyers, we don't even meet the precedent, uh, the predicate for the the charges that have been uh, put against me. Um, I never willingly or knowingly joined any sort of conspiracy. Um, what actually happened was. Uh, <clears throat> There was a lot of misinformation and disinformation going on towards the end of the election and leading up to uh, the certification of the election. Um, this one of the witnesses, uh, I guess I should refrain from saying their name, um, was looking for legal assistance and trying to get in contact with the Trump campaign, wanting to come forward and share information. But as of November 15th, the Trump campaign was no longer a legal entity or in existence. This person just so happened to also be African-American and very scared and unwilling to speak to people who are Caucasian in Georgia because of, you know, history in the South. Um, I agreed to uh, try to help this person to figure out what it was that they needed. We had a conversation. This conversation took place um, not under any coercion um, at the appointed uh, location and discretion of the individual. Um, it took place in a police station. Um, it was okayed by the FBI. Um, and the witness said some things that, you know, the Federal Bureau, the GBI, the district attorney, and the Secretary of State's office ended up not liking, was quickly whisked away. And uh, now I'm 
facing charges for something that didn't happen. But uh, luckily for me, we, we we got it all on audio and uh, and uh, video. So <clears throat> we'll see what happens when it all comes out in court. Now, when has your court date been established for? Well, one has not, but uh, the third, there's the first hearing for uh, some subpoenas that we issued to the uh, Secretary of State's office, to the federal, uh, for the uh, Fulton County Election Commission, as well as the uh, Fulton County Superior uh, Clerk's Office. Do you have concerns? Uh, we've seen now Sidney Powell, Jenna, Jenna Ellis, plea bargains, plea deals. Uh, we know Mark Meadows has this immunity deal. Do you have concerns about uh, those, if you want to call them big three, uh, and there's one other gentleman, another attorney, I just forgot his name, uh, as far as what's going to happen or the direction of this case down in Georgia? No. Okay. I'm not, I'm not them. I know what I did. I know what I didn't do. Um, you, you know, sir, at the, whenever you get an award in the military, at the end of the award, it says uh, your actions reflect great credit upon, you know, whatever, Yourself, sir. Yourself, yes. Uh, your actions were above and beyond reproach. Yeah. My actions were above and beyond reproach. It will show in court. And I don't know what this district attorney was thinking when she decided to file these charges against me. Uh, maybe they were thinking they were going to shut me up. Maybe they were thinking they were going to pressure me into doing something different. They picked the wrong guy. They had the wrong profile. Um, they just made things a lot worse for themselves than what it could have been. They should have left me alone. Now they're about to get some action. Let's talk about 48 hours in Fulton County Jail as a flight risk, which is unconscionable to me. What six, are the six, conditions? Six huh? days. Six, six days. days. Sorry, I didn't mean to cheat you. <laughs> I those days. Six days in Fulton County Jail, which does not have the greatest of reputations. Um, do you think that that was a, a, an intimidation tactic, a coercion tactic? Probably, sir, but it's... They picked the wrong guy. Why would you, you know, a, a couple things. And I think it shows uh, a lack of thought uh, process on, on their, their part. One, why would you put the black guy who raised the black vote for the president in a jail that has more black male inmates than, than anywhere in the country? Why would you put me in that jail? Like, that's, that's just not a good place for, for me to be. What do you think is going to happen? You know, I'm probably going to turn a lot, a lot of those inmates into Trump supporters, right? So that's that's number one. Um, number two, being a Marine and having deployed multiple times and been to combat, like what's jail? You know, like yeah. like Seer School. Like I'm I've I've done this already. You've been to Fallujah. Yeah, like not only have I been to combat, no one's shooting at me, no one's blowing me blowing me up, right? I know my surroundings. Um, and you know, I, I, I've been to boot camp. Like, this is not what, what are you going to do? Like, you have to feed me three times a day, right? Like there's, you, you're, you're not doing anything. So whatever they thought they were doing, they missed the mark. So what happens next, uh, in this whole episode and what's next for Harrison Floyd going forward? We're going on offense. We're about to light them up. We're going to uh, show the truth. We're gonna we're gonna be honest. 
Uh, we're going to share the truth and we're going to uncover evidence. And there's going to be some very surprising and shocking things that are going to happen. There's going to be some very senior government officials, uh, not only in the state of Georgia, but also in our Congress that are very likely looking at serious jail time. Um, some people committed perjury, some people committed treason. And um, it's the, the most interesting uh, part about all this for me is, I think, uh, from working on the Trump campaign and having to be creative in the way that we were engaging is now I get to use that creativity um, against Democrats in a very serious way that is seriously um, going to have an impact on elections moving forward. Um, 2024. I'm, 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 I am very concerned about uh, the election 2024 because of everything that's going to come out and the lack of confidence that people are going to have and some changes that are going to need to be made very, very quickly to ensure uh, constituents' confidence in the electoral process. But I think, you know, it's like uh, ripping a Band-Aid off of a wound. Like, you got to do it. You got to get some air to it, and then you got to let it heal. So I'm hoping that when all this stuff comes out, the people who were right in their beliefs about the 2020 and the 2022 uh, uh, election down there in Georgia, um, the people who were right can be humble and, um, you know, work work with others in a tangible way moving forward. And I hope that those who are wrong will be able to accept that they were wrong and say, all right, we need to figure out a way uh, how to move forward. How can people follow you and support you, uh, contribute to your legal defense fund? Uh, well, thank you so much for that, sir. Uh, so I'm mo most active on Twitter, HW underscore Floyd. Um, I, there's a Give, Sin, Go account um, that was created for me. It's on my um, Twitter feed somewhere. And I think if you type in my name, um, it'll come up. We're, we were very fortunate to uh, have raised over it was like 300 and something thousand dollars. But uh, my lawyers have said that um, we're at we're in a very good place right now with the discovery that we've uh, got. But if we want to really, really be able to um, drive it home and really hurt them, then we're going to have to get north of probably about half a million dollars. Okay. So uh we'll, we'll we'll see uh we're raising funds i was thinking about running for congress as another avenue to um having my presence down there be a problem for them but uh trying to figure out the uh best way to add value right now well good and we will keep you in our prayers along with your wife and your daughter uh and we just want to thank you for your service to this country and we just believe that you will prevail in this uh, little legal uh, dispute that is going on in your life. So Harrison Floyd, thank you so much for joining us here on the Steadfast and Law program. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate you and everything that you've done for our country. And I hope that you get back in the political arena because we need not only more veterans, but uh, sound-minded uh, leaders um, with genuine care and concern and compassion uh, for our country in the uh, arena hooking and jabbing, sir. You're very kind. Thank you. Semper Fidelis and Airborne. Ah. Uh, thank you. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for joining us on this episode of the Steadfast and Loyal Program. And very special thanks to Harrison Floyd, young uh, Semper Fi Marine that uh, I have gotten to know very well. 
what happened to Harrison should not be happening in the United States of America. A lot of things should not be happening in the United States of America. And that's why we try to keep you better informed, educated, and aware of these things so that you can make the right type of decisions about what type of governance you want in this constitutional republic. And if you enjoyed this episode, please click the like button and share it with others. And until next time, steadfast and loyal. Before they burn it down